It's time to hear what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly at the multiplexes and at the art house. Warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. You'll also hear about new and old films on Blu-ray and on DVD. Plus, you'll hear all the latest Hollywood gossip. I don't care! Okay, maybe not the latter, but it is time for film sociology with WFYI's film guru. Kaiser Shizzy! No, that's Matthew Sosi. It's such a fine line between stupid and, and clever, yes. Let's see how thin the line is. Here's your host, Matthew Sosi. Film lovers, welcome to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the Point and WFYI.org. If you have a question or a comment, you can email me at msoce, that's M-S-O-C-E-Y, at WFYI.org. I'm also on Facebook, also on Twitter, at Matthew Sosi. The show is available as a podcast, and it's also available on iTunes, and we have a blog, which someday will be updated at, filmsociology.tumblr.com. It is that time of the year. It is the last weekend in October, uh, I guess, to to uh, to turn a phrase from Andy Williams, it's the most horrible time of the year because as you know if you're a regular film sociology listener and you really should be uh, a certain somebody or I should say a certain something comes and hangs out whether I ask for it or not and he needs no introduction here it is Once again, horrible to be here with you, Matthew. And I mean this the way it sounds, Sammy. You kind of you kind of keep coming back, so we appreciate it. Oh, for the 54 years that I've been a horror host, I keep coming back and back and back. They can't kill me cuz <laughs> I'm already dead. <laughs> like this show. <laughs> so, Sammy, what is uh, you uh, now? Of course, this all depends, ladies and gentlemen, on when you listen to this show. So, I, you know, if it's time sensitive, I can't help you. But, but, Sammy, what is uh, th- this? Is your busy time? I guess is what they say in the workforce. It most certainly is. For this time of year is my birthday celebration. You all might call it Halloween, but it's really my birthday. Birthday. We just allow you guys to think you've got it special. Now, do you have Elsa Lanchester or uh, Ingrid Pitt jumping out of your birthday cake? <laughs> I would take either one. I'm sure both of them taste good. Together. Anyway. <laughs> wow, family show. Let's keep it there. All right, so what's what's going on this weekend, Sammy? Oh, this weekend, on Saturday, all day long, from 10 until 5, I'll be at the Irvington Street Fair. It's the longest-running Halloween festival in the entire United States. From 10 to 5, they closed down Washington Street in Indianapolis, and there they have pumpkin carving and costume contests. And of course, at 2 o'clock is their parade, and they could not have found a grander Grand Marshal this year, because it's me. (laughs) And the verified, it's 10 a.m. to 2 p.m.? 10 a.m. Excuse me, 10 a.m. to 5 Oh, to 10 p.m. to 5 p.m., yes. Till yes. 5 p.m., Just double-checking. Yes, and the parade is 2 p.m., if I said that wrong. No, no, just clarifying. Just clarifying that, so. Now, uh... I guess I'm curious, Sammy, are you a fan of uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show? Of course. I like anything that's as demonically deranged as those fools. <laughs> good. They're in good company there. So what's the rest of the weekend looking like? Absolutely. And then on Saturday, as soon as I wrap up at the Irvington Street Fair, I am going straight back to my dungeon for be- between 6 p.m. and midnight on WTTV, the 4.2 digital channel I will be hosting my birthday celebration with three horrible horror movies. From 6 to 8, we'll be watching Halloween 2. That's the 2009 Rob Zombie edition. Ah. Cleaned up quite a bit for television. (laughs) And there's a little bit of an homage to 
the original Halloween 2 in its uh, hospital sequence. I'll just leave it at that. That's true. And from 8 until 10 p.m., I'll be hosting The Haunting in Connecticut. There's nothing better than a family that moves to an old mortuary. Also known as the suburbs. <laughs> and then from 10 until midnight on Saturday, I will be showing Night of the Living Dead, the 40th anniversary edition, George A. Romero's wonderful show that brought the zombie craze to life, for we certainly wouldn't even have The Walking Dead if it wasn't for Night of the Living Dead. So tune in to 4.2, the digital channel for WTTV. It's also available on their antenna TV. But wait, there's more. Since there's so many people that don't get the 4.2 channel... Boy, don't we know it. ...you're in luck. For on Halloween Day, I will be uploading to the Sanitary.com website. My entire Halloween celebration, I will be hosting Night of the Living Dead. Everyone in the world can see that on Sammyterry.com. It's free. It's my streaming on-demand show, but it's free until the following Friday. So make sure you come and see, for you will also see very rare footage of my 1972 10th anniversary show. We had all kinds kinds of horrible prizes and fun back then. And of course, uh, uh, the original George A. Romero's Night of the Living Dead shot outside beautiful Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yes, beautiful Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And so that's all day Halloween day. Go to SammyTerry.com. You'll see my birthday celebration with all kinds of extra footage of me and George in that. And you'll see my brand new website as well. Let me know in my comments section how you like my new website at SammyTerry.com. I wonder if Sammy Terry reviews are on Yelp. Just a thought. All right, moving on. <laughs> um, so anyway, we'll be chatting with Sammy throughout the show because, well, he's here. Uh, but I do want to talk about what's new in uh, what's new in theaters. And and uh, ladies and gentlemen, this happens every now and then, where sometimes it is one film and one film only that opens. And uh, partly because I guess it's the time, of the, maybe the time of the year, but also that nobody wants to go up against it. And this year, it's uh, this weekend actually. It's uh, the the umpteenth collaboration between uh, director Ron Howard and Tom Hanks. This time, it's Inferno. This is the third of the uh, Dan Brown, the, the Da Vinci Code, Angels and Demons, and now we have Inferno. So Tom Hanks is back as uh, Professor Robert Lagdon, everyone's favorite uh, symbologist from Harvard University, who is brought in. Well, there's a combination. If you've seen the other uh, the other films, there is, of course, a puzzle that must be solved that involves a lot of running and potential Armageddon as we know it. Only this time around, it is a virus that is supposed to be launched onto the Earth at the uh, uh, planned by a uh, billionaire's uh, nut job played by Ben Foster. No jokes, please. Um, so on top of being able to find the code that is in a painting of Dante's Inferno, um, we also have uh, Professor Langdon who wakes up and doesn't quite know where he is due to uh, injection, concussion. Well, f we're finding out along the way. So if you mix the Da Vinci Code with a little bit of um, of uh, Christopher Nolan's film Memento as far as memory loss, uh, he's at the hands of a doctor who's helping him out, played by Felicity Jones, and uh, and then there's a lot again, a lot of running through Florence and other parts in Italy. So, um, I guess, Sammy, are you are you a fan of the uh, the Da Vinci Code series? I am very much, but I am a little bit concerned. As popular as these movies are, typical for any soap opera watcher, you know that the end is coming when your top billing client winds up having amnesia and is wandering through the earth not knowing who they are. So that scares me a little for the continuation of this series. To be fair, Sammy, there is no evil twin, so there's no another role of Tom Hanks with a soul patch. Oh, maybe a doppelganger would be great. <laughs> oh, so uh, anyway, so there there is that. So also uh, helping out in this show is Omar Sy, if you know the Impossibles, uh, Irfan Khan as a, as a syndicate mercenary, 
and uh, I hope I'm saying this right, Sitsi Babbitt Notson, who is a World Health Organization uh, officer who also has a past with Tom Hanks. Um, it's, of course, as I said, directed by Baron Howard. The screenplay is done by David Kep. And uh, I, I, I apparently, according to reports, this is uh, half the budget of the earlier uh, Da Vinci Code films and the shortest. And I have to admit that the first half moves pretty quickly, um, combining the, the fugitive aspect of them on foot quite a bit, as well as solving the puzzles. Um, second half of the film drags a little bit. Now, I don't want to give away too much. I'm going to word this carefully. There is a there's a major plot occurrence, or as we used to call it here at Film Sociology, plot things. Um, there's a plot thing that happens that should come out of nowhere, but if you are familiar with this series of films, it's not going to be that big of a shock for you. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Once that point happens... Um, the film drags a little bit, even though it is the it is probably the shortest of the three films. Um, it, it, it overall it's okay. I guess if you're a, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of these films. Um, although Hanks and Felicity Jones have some nice chemistry together and a solid bench of uh, of European actors that you know from other films, all in all in really really nice suits. You know, ties optional. It's a, it's a really well-dressed picture on that part. Well, even if it's a Tom Hanks film, if it winds up being a dud and you don't like it, I recommend you go out, buy a bunch of DVDs of it anyway, build them into a, into a large mass on the back of your home, keep them away from your shutters, because soon you'll be dousing it with gasoline, <laughs> because you'll want to make the towering inferno. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> How long have you sorry had that? Sorry about that one. That's all right. How long? Have, no, you're not. How long have you had that one in the uh, in the bullpen? <laughs> Since you said Inferno the first time. <laughs> I guess I'm wondering. So, uh, and of course, in this one, again, it's a uh, painting of Dante's Inferno. Wasn't that uh, wasn't that a pop up book that you would read to George at bedtime? Oh, George, I, I can no longer use pop up books with George. You see, he gets so excited with the 3D nature. He gets into the cracks and crevices, and if I close it before, he gets out. Well, it's a mess. (laughs) And we won't talk about the 3D pop-up book of Ingrid Pitt's autobiography. Moving on. uh, Anyway, it's out there. It's out there. You'll probably like, I guess, uh, as we once said, y'all like it. Probably more than I do. Enjoy that. Okay. Um, So, there are some other options, depending on what part of the state you are in, and what what state you were in um this weekend at uh iu cinema of course yesterday was the great john borman lecture along with the double feature of him uh tonight today at three o'clock on saturday october 29th as a part of the john borman film series the 1998 crime film the general as well as in uh not part of the film series but at seven o'clock as a part of their sifting through the ruins film series from 1981 Escape from New York. Now, that's a horror film of a different kind. It is directed by John Carpenter, his long collaboration with Kurt Russell, um, but, a, but a fun film about a, about a, a scary New York in the future. But, uh, again, we're not going to go there, but, you know, sometimes life imitates art. But not Everyone quite should take their fashion cues from the costumes from Escape from New York. Very fashionable. There you go. As well as a cameo by Ox Baker. And, of course, we should all have a Cadillac like Isaac Hayes with giant chandeliers on the front. Uh, Sunday, October 30th at 3 p.m., the National Theater live performance of Frankenstein with Johnny Lee Miller and Benedict Cumberbatch. And I don't know who is playing which role in this. They, they swap roles between uh, Dr. Frankenstein and the creation, hmm. so that's kind of cool. And then uh, at uh, six o'clock is the uh, is part of the film series, the earrings of uh, oh dear, <laughs> the earrings of Madame de. Oh, and it's supposed to have three dots. Okay, so that's from 1953, directed by Max Ophius. Um, Monday, October 31st, on Halloween at seven o'clock, they are showing. Uh, wow. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, here you go. Here's your weekend plans if you're in Bloomington. Sunday, October 30th at 3 p.m., as I said, the National Theater Live production of Frankenstein with Benedict Cumberbatch and Johnny Lee Miller. Halloween, 7 o'clock, reverse cast. 
Wow. So that's that would be very cool. That would be very cool indeed. So that is happening on October 31st. And because Halloween is over and we only have one other thing to look forward to, Tuesday, November 1st from 2006, it's becoming more and more like a documentary as we get closer. Mike Judge's Idiocracy. (laughs) Yes, that one. Um, Also, Friday, November 4th at 6.30 p.m., Rumstick Road is part of the Underground Film Series. Uh, At 9.30 p.m., the International Art House Series Being 17 from earlier this year. And at the Midnight Movies at IU Cinema, Sammy, I know you know this one from 1983, the MTV-esque vampire love story, The Hunger. With the hunger. Catherine Deneuve, Susan Sarandon, and the late, great David Bowie. Excellent. Excellent indeed. And then, uh, oh, Saturday, November 5th, my daughter's birthday, uh, at 3 p.m. as a part of the Cinekids produ- uh, series from 1931, the Marx Brothers Monkey Business. Monkey well, Business. Not Monkey Shines. That's another Romero picture we can't talk about. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, Monkey Business at 3 o'clock and then the Royal Taylor at 7 p.m. So there is a lot going out there. Oh, for getting ready for the election time, Monday, November 7th at 3 p.m., the original Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Perfect timing on that one. All right. That is over at IU Cinema, over at the Tibbs, because we're in the Midwest. It's not cold yet. You can go see movies outside. Um, On one screen, uh, screen one, you have Inferno, which we just talked about, and Girl on the Train, the Emily Blunt film that's not Gone Girl. On screen two, we have, um, Sammy, your thoughts on Boo, A Medea Halloween? Boo, A Medea Halloween. See what he did there. That's uh, and then the second screen, uh, the Kevin Hart documentary concert film. What now? Screen three, Ouija: Origin of Evil, followed by Blair Witch. Two sequels, and then screen four, Mrs. Pettigreen's uh, Home for Peculiar Children, and The Accountant. Weird double feature. I guess they're waiting for the kids to go to sleep after that. So that, anyway, that is at the Tibbs Drive-In. Uh, over at the Skyline, which, and by the way, you were just there. How was the Skyline? I was just there recently. Oh, the wonderful lads that run the Skyline. They always pick up the best pairings of movies. Oh, they've had excellent crowds. If you've not been to the Skyline, make sure you head to Shelbyville to go to the Skyline, for it's a true Americana experience. They've even got the classic candy from the time. But not not actually candy from the 50s. I think some of it might be. That, that That's not a dig on the skyline. We not at all. They know we're jesting. Dig there. Okay. Um, anyway, this weekend, because it's Halloween weekend, oh, man, here's interesting. Because what happens over at the skyline is sometimes they will have, they will have two features of recent release. And then usually one, the late, late feature is something that somebody, somebody owns a 35 millimeter print of it in their basement. And, and if they're not pushing Sammy Terry to show it at some other event, they, they show it here. If you see me on the street sometime, I'll tell you that story. But um, this weekend at 7.45 p.m. from 1988, Tim Burton's Beetlejuice. And then at 9.45 p.m., Tim Burton's Mars Attacks from 1996, underrated sci-fi spoof. Mm. And then at 11.30 on the 29th only, from 1972, Godzilla on Monster Island. There's, oh. there's the curveball. You could even see the plastic imprint of the manufacturer's label on his butt. <laughs> If you really, that's what the pause button is for. <laughs> um, and of course, as is written on the website, a man begins to suspect that something is wrong about his employers. Meanwhile, Godzilla and Angerus are alerted to something strange going on. Wow. Anyway, so a Tim Burton double feature with a Godzilla on Monster Island chaser. That is happening at the skyline <laughs> in Shelbyville. Thanks, guys. Um, uh, speaking of peers, uh, if you go to Svenguli.com at 10 o'clock tomorrow night, or Saturday night, I should say, Saturday night, 10 o'clock, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. How were, uh, Sammy, how are you on Abbott and Costello running into, running into these characters? 
Well, of course, that entire time that they created those, monster movies were becoming very popular at the box office. And even though that wasn't necessarily Abbott and Costello's first pick, they had to do it in order to keep up with public demand, for people wanted the horror. But Abbott and Costello were so darn popular, they had to marry the two, as unlikely a pair it seems. And also, this weekend, um, ten tonight is the last of the Midnight Movie Series at the Keystone Art Cinemas on the north side of town, and they're showing John Carpenter's Halloween, of course, from 1978. And I bring that up because, well, one, I went last night to go see that, but... But that was a film, I saw it when it first came out, so I was eight, my brother was about 14, and our dad took us, and and I remember uh, that was the first time I experienced a horror film, and there was not just screams in the audience, but laughter. And I don't remember any laughter when I saw Jaws back in 75, when I was five years old. And, and But it, it was my introduction to the concept, Sammy, and you know this, that um, you know people like people enjoy to be scared. It's the, it's the roller coaster, it's the spook house, it's the scary movie, and, and, it's, and it's kind of a release. It is, in fact, the very same endorphins that curse through your brains, that go through all of your nerves, that tantalize your spine, are effective when you're scared or when you're surprised and happy. There's other times, too, that we won't mention here on this family-friendly show. But there's so much that when they can incorporate humor with the horror, indeed, it certainly acts as a balance, and it evokes a wonderful response from the Watcher. That's why Halloween and the other true great classically based horror movies endure forever. And I think uh, going back to that with Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, in that one you have comics, of course, the, the two, uh, Bud and Lou, running into these creatures and, and us, and I think they representing what would happen if we well, me as immortals, you're you're you, but uh, but who we would uh, you know how we would respond when we came across these people, and it, it, it's interesting how that changed over time, and then something like Freddy Krueger in the '80s when it became a series of one-liners before slicing and dicing, and that of course brought a myriad of imitators from leprechauns and so on and so forth. So yes, the quality, in fact, and that's one of the reasons why on the Sammy Terry Nightmares Weekly show on my website, you'll always find me hosting older classic movies. They tend to lead far more up to the imagination. They play with real world scenarios that you can picture yourself in, like Lou and Bud. Speaking of which, let's, let's remind folks, so, uh, actually on WTTV 4.2, there's three films. I know you're showing the original Night of the Living Get Dead at 10 o'clock, and then you're showing also... The Haunting in Connecticut at between 8 and 10, and Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. You know what else is horrifying, folks? Pixelation. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> As you can hear, Sammy Terry is hanging out with me here at Film Sociology. Always, uh, always a great time of year. Uh, I want to shift gears a little bit to what is on DVD and Blu-ray. And, uh, and there's some Sammy stuff in here in a little bit. But first, uh, probably the best film of the three new titles of note is a film called uh, Captain Fantastic, which stars Viggo Mortensen as a, uh, a gentleman who has gone off the grid uh, with his wife and his family. Um, they live in the woods. They, they tend to their own crops, homeschooled, living in the forest, surviving on their, on their own means and wits. And what happens when the mother dies and there's a clash between her family, her parents, and his family on how to raise the kids, how should the funeral be done. Um, and, and, of course, it involves the Mortensen character and the kids leaving their own civilization to come into what is considered natural civilization, the civilization that you and I exist in. It's, it's a fascinating piece, and it is something that, and, and they bring a sense of humanity to people that I know we, it's real easy to poke fun of those that uh, quote-unquote live off the grid and eat bark and granola and all the other stereotypes, but they bring a bit of humanity to that, and it's a really solid performance from Viggo Mortensen. Also, with another surprising performance, um, and the only reason why I saw this was because of the casting, but it's a film called Mr. Church, based on a true friendship about a, uh, a mother and daughter. Mother is has not told her daughter that she is dying of cancer. And so the man from her past, I guess the uh, the father of the child, has hired a cook 
Mr. Church to take care of the food while the mother is still alive. Mr. Church is played by Eddie Murphy, and it's a rare dramatic role. It's directed by Bruce Beresford, who gave us everything from Breaker Morant and, of course, most notably, Driving Miss Daisy. And... Uh, and so there is what happens when the mother dies, played by Natasha McElhorn. If you look, she is, and as cruel as this may sound, there is a subgenre of uh, people who are absolutely gorgeous as they are creeping closer and closer to death. See also Ally McGraw in Love Story, Kate Winslet in Finding Neverland. There are others. Anyway, she's in the team picture. But, uh, but of course, Mr. Church winds up raising the girl on her own for a while and um, provides food and uh, jazz music because that's what he likes to listen to when he cooks and life lessons. But he also must have his privacy when, he's le- when he is not in the house. So we follow him raising the girl from little girl to high school and to college and beyond. It's it's a little heavy-handed. It's a little mawkish. Uh, a particular a great example of heavy-handedness is the scene when the girl is getting on her, uh, who takes the public bus to and from school. Mom is always there to greet her, but on this particular morning, it is Eddie Murphy, and it's shot in slow motion with a little bit of uh, orchestrated music. You kind of get the idea. Um, it's a it's a understated performance from Eddie Murphy, and uh, we haven't seen anything like this really since Dreamgirls, his his, uh, his only Oscar-nominated performance. And watching the film, I kept waiting to see if little Murphy-isms would pop up. And for the most part, they don't. It's it's a it's it's a low key, again a low key performance, and I, there is a scene uh, not really given away much when a baby is born that some of that some of that sparkle some of that shine that we expect from Eddie Murphy shows up but not a lot it doesn't take over so it's it's not the greatest film in the world but I think it's worth checking out to see. Murphy do a film like this. And and this is, the, of course, the balance out the millions and millions of dollars he's gotten to do by just showing up, basically. Um, now, shifting gears again as far as new titles, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, I'm an old person, and uh, Sammy's even older, and there are times where the brain has a snafu from time to time, and, and there was a film that came out on video this week that I rented, and because the titles are both kind of generic sounding, and that's not really a reflection on the film itself, but uh, but the films are so generic sounding, I went and rented one film and I was expecting to see the other film. And I'll, For instance, there is a film that I don't think is out on video just yet. It is called Don't Breathe. And this is the film. It's a it's a group of uh, a group of teenage hooligans who are going to break into a house of an old man who it is said that he has cash and gold and jewels and all this uh, and you know this treasure buried in his house in uh, in modern day Detroit. What they didn't da- what they didn't realize was that not only is the old man blind, but he's also kind of a mercenary, former military. And uh, when the lights go out, bad things happen. The film is called Don't Breathe. There's also a film called Lights Out. See where I got confused a little bit? So this is one. It's uh, Teresa Palmer for you fans of uh, Warm Bodies. And uh, Maria Bello plays her mother. And this is what happens when there is an apparition that shows up when the lights are out. So there's, if you've seen the trailers, there's scenes where lights are on and she's not there. Lights are off and then it's there. And, th- and that's kind of the film. We know mom has some problems. The daughter who's, been, who's estranged from the family, dad is killed. Younger brother is afraid to go to sleep. Um, so you, you see, first off, you see lights out, don't breathe. Very similar. Could go either way. Um, this is a film that the only thing about it, first off, it's thankfully short. It's only 80 minutes. So you got that going for you. You have two, two pretty solid performances from Maria Bello and Teresa Palmer. Again, if you cast real actors, as opposed to people who are just willing to take their clothes off, I sound like an old, I sound like my parents now, but, um, but really it comes down to about maybe about a third of the way through the film. You're thinking, well, is it actually a ghost or is it symbolic of mental health? And you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Fortunately, as I said, it's only 80 minutes, so you don't have to wait that long. But uh, but this is one of those I would have loved to have seen in an audience because they would have been screaming and jumping and laughing and that sort of thing. So anyway, not terrible, not groundbreaking. It's, it is what it is. It's a rental. Sammy, you've had some films that are, you, you know, there's some films we're checking out in the theater and some, some that are just kind of worth the rental time. Through the years, I've had the 
sudden pleasure of hosting many true hounds. <laughs> In fact, I have some coming up on my new web series, The Sammy Terry Nightmares, and those were throwing in all kinds of extra antics between George and I to make sure that the customer has lots and lots of fun because I can't rely on the movie for all that much. See, see, the negotiations with Sammy and certain TV studios and movie studios are really entertaining and should be filmed someday. We'll, <laughs> we'll work on that. But yes, yeah, so, see, it's not just for Mystery Science Theater anymore. They've, folks have been doing this for a long time, so and it adds to it. It's okay. It does. All right, a couple other titles of note on DVD and Blu-ray. Old titles. Um, wow, this is actually the perfect time, Sammy. Uh, a couple of titles of note for you. Um, the underrated film, and I need to watch this again, The Exorcist 3. This is the one with George C. Scott and uh, and Brad Dorff. This is, and this is what I believe is one of those, it should have had a separate title. It should just not have been called The Exorcist 3. It's a... Um, Oh, God. Uh, George C. Scott plays a police detective that's investigating a series of deaths. And, then, of course, we find out that it's a possession. They could have named it anything else, mm-hmm. but they named it Exorcist 3. And it's kind of under, you know, and if anything else, it's better than Exorcist 2. But that's not saying a whole hell of a lot. So That's true. And there's some truly creepy moments in this. I remember seeing this film when I was in college. Now, for the for the ghoul in your life, ladies and gentlemen, there is a box set that just came out. Oh, boy. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, the Herschel Gordon Lewis Feast. Of course, Mr. Lewis just passed away recently, but now you can have all of his 50s, 60s, and 70s splatter movies on crisp and clear Blu-ray, such as Blood Feast, Scum of the Earth, 2000 Maniacs, Moonshine Mountain, Color Me Blood Red, not Color Me Bad, Something Weird, the Gruesome Twosome, A Taste of Blood, not the one with Dick Miller. Uh, she Devils on Wheels, Just for the Hell of It, How to Make a Doll, The Gore Gore Girls, This Stuff Will Kill ya, and The Wizard of Gore, all in one actual literal bloody package. Amazing. Rush right out. Pick up your computer. Go as quickly as you can online. Order it right away so you can sleep well tonight. Do you ever, I, I don't think you were allowed to show any of these films on TV, Sammy, but have you experienced some of Mr. Uh, Mr. Lewis's work? Only a few of them. See? They're still out there, folks. And uh, anyway, I've seen a few of them as well. If I remember right, I think um, Turner Classic Movies would show them late, 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 and not very often. So uh, anyway, that is out there as well. And then, ladies and gentlemen, is a shift of gears, not horrifying at all. The 1957 film Boy on a Dolphin, guys know about this film because of the opening scene involving his, uh, involving Sophia Loren and water. And for that, we salute you. So those are out on DVD and Blu-ray. There is also, ladies and gentlemen, again, we are covering horror movies of all kinds here on Film Sociology. This is your Pledge Dollars at Work. Um, There's, of course, uh, I've talked about this group, the Film Movement, which is kind of, for lack of a better term, the Film of the Month Club, where we get uh, films from all over the world available on home video, uh, DVD and Blu-ray. And they also have a classics uh, section. And I came across what came across my mailbox this week was a double feature of two films from a retrospect series from director Joe Sarno. Uh, Joe Sarno, well, and there was a documentary I learned about Mr. Sarno where I knew some of his titles more than I knew the man himself. But he had a documentary that Film Movement put out, I think, last year called A Life in Dirty Pictures. He made these uh, and I'm going to word this carefully because, again, family show, my family, not yours. Uh, but he put out a series of, I guess they would be called, for lack of a better term, softcore porn or sexploitation. And, and, of course, sexploitation in the 50s and 60s, not quite the same as it is today. I'm not going to get fired. Um, but anyway, the, the two films that were on this disc from 1973, it was known as Vampire Ecstasy, also known as The Devil's Plaything, also known as Veil of Blood. Sammy, I know you've encountered horror films that have had multiple titles for multiple reasons. Oh, that's right. Depending on the market, depending on what particular parts they put in or take out. Many Italian films, which were considered much racier than the American releases, were released under their Italian name because they could get away with that. 
or they had to rename it to bring it here to the states. Right, or sometimes if they if uh, if it, if uh, Vampire Ecstasy, well, that's actually not a bad title if you're just going for exploitation. But I guess if you if it starts out as Veil of Blood and it doesn't do well, you could bring it back six months later and rename it Vampire Ecstasy. That's right. If it doesn't work once, just spin it and try it again. Ladies and gentlemen, this is film history here at Film Sociology. Your pledge dollars at work. All right, so going back to this, um, and this. Was I found out in the interview? There's a uh, there is a commentary track. I haven't heard it yet. I will. Don't judge me. But there is an interview with director Joe Sarno, an old archive interview, and this was shot in Germany. And uh, they actually had access to an old castle, Ooh. not William Castle, but an old castle nonetheless. And uh, so that, of course, once you there are times, ladies and gentlemen, where a film is made because they got a location. And so they banged out a script, and this is one basically of uh, some young girls arriving. This is, uh, again, early 70s. They're the only ones in modern dress. Everybody else looks like something out of a Hammer horror film with less clothing. Um, Young girls are arriving at the castle for a reading of the will, but what they didn't realize is that they are, of course, stuck in a place that is a vampire coven. And I'll just say, as I wrote in my notes, the first five minutes are a doozy. Um, Bodies painted and dancing. That's all you need to know. That's the type of film that this is. And, uh, you know, this is about 90 minutes, really wooden acting. Um, These people were not cast for their acting abilities, as you could probably understand. Um, Yeah, so there is (laughs) there's a lot of those scenes and uh, doesn't quite go too far. There's maybe one moment that goes a little far, but not too, too far. But then again, if you, you you know your own sensibilities, we'll just leave it at that. So, yeah, a lot of lifeless chanting and dancing and gyrating and and, uh, and all that. So I guess these, these films make the Hammer horror films seem like the universal horror films at times. Oh, there you go. And it's those type of films that no matter how racy they get, they pale in comparison to many of the considered mild films of today. Yeah, so, you know, there you go. If you want some film history... There's that. The other the other film that goes with this is from 1963, um, which is uh, it's called um, Oh Sin You Sinners, and uh, it's a really bad transfer onto disc. I mean, there's line, especially at the beginning and at the end. This is one of those because it is it has been played so much, you can see the lines and the scratches. And well, I don't think Scorsese or Universal was doing any restoration on this one. Sorry to say. Uh, but this is, yeah, about a dancer at a nightclub who, who and, and um, I don't think Sammy's had this experience, and hopefully, friends, you have not either. But there, there have been certain establishments where there are certain employees that have been there a little too long. Leaving it at that. You're an imaginative folks. Uh, but, yeah, she has a medallion, which turns out to be the magic medallion that keeps her young and uh, must be fed. She has a very unhappy daughter um, trying to... Uh, well, there's there's also a moment that could happen between uh, the daughter and the mother and the mother's boyfriend, uh, but it's also 1963, so it's very mild. You know, heavy, I guess I guess it, 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 there is no rating for this film. Heavy necking happens. Clutch the pearls. Um, but yeah, so there, that's about it, and it's only 67 minutes long, thankfully. Uh, but this was one with, uh, and, and the mother who, when she's not dancing, has uh, does kind of a sham seance for hire. So there's a lot of chanting and bongo playing and writhing on the floor, and yeah. Anyway, just uh, th- this was the second feature for a reason. But this was an early film directed by Joe Sarno, who of course gave us. Vampire Ecstasy, which we just talked about. And it is out on DVD and Blu-ray if you're into that sort of thing, courtesy of Film Movement. However, I do recommend A Life in Dirty Movies, uh, which is a documentary about him and his uh, – and, and there's great footage of him. He had to have been I, – I know he, I think he just passed away recently, but he's had to have been close to his, his 80s, and he's still banging out scripts on an old typewriter. So anyway, that that is out there as well. Um We'll get to Sammy Terry in a little bit, but I, I do want to make a note, and I just found out about this over the uh, actually yesterday. Um, as you've heard on the show for many years, we are we are pro local horror show host. Hello, Sammy. Um, so you know, love having Sammy on whenever possible. Love have love replaying my interviews with Rich Coase Fanguli whenever possible. And another of the Brotherhood just passed away recently, um, John Zachary. Best known as Zachary the Cool Ghoul in New York City in the 1960s. Started out with uh, Shock Theater, 
with WCAU in Philadelphia in the 50s, and then uh, where he played the role of Roland. And then he uh, went to New York for WABC and got to play uh, Zachary. And uh, this was one that whenever there were footage, there was uh, articles on TV like Entertainment Tonight and other news stories about the local horror show host, you would see Sammy, you would see Svangoolie, or whether it's the original or son of. Um, you would see uh, Sir Graves Gasly, my guy from Detroit, or Elvira, every guy's gal. Uh, but you would also see footage of Zachary. And I, I want to play just a little bit, uh, courtesy of YouTube, big th- shout-out to uh, Finnish Shell Nut, who uh, this is his YouTube page. But anyway, this is something called Zachary Archives. And uh, you're here just a little bit of this, but here is Zachary. Now, just a set of the visual. He's sitting in a coffin playing cards. And his opponent, well, not really, not really lending a hand, so to speak. Here, here's a little bit. Well, now, don't hand me that stuff, my dear. The one that wanted to play this game, I think he got into that dinosaur eggnog. That's a little too much for you. Well, now, what are you playing there? You said you didn't have any diamond before. Can't count it, woman. Whoever taught you to play this game in the first place? Sick. There. Oh, you keep out of it, will you? Keep out. It's just you keep out of it. You're all mixed up with old maids and things here. Just forget the whole thing. All right. Play any more of this confounded game. Making me sick of my stomach, my dear. Will you carry on here? Oh, good evening, good evening. I, uh, I think Mayday was just a little bit too much for the old dear. She had a little bit too much of that eggnog, and it almost did her in. Gasport here, he's recovered rather nicely from his operation. The stitches are still available here, of course, but yeah, he'll be all right, he's grand boy. I, uh, I think you'd be glad to know that this evening, uh, I am uh, out to set the weight again, as usual. Uh, I read an article in that uh, New York Times thing that uh, <coughs> they print some pretty loose stuff there, I think, in that paper on occasion, and they had an article there about the scientific boys and the famous Moho project, which is the digging down to the center of the earth, you know, and they've got the whole thing balled up, and I intend to uh, go down there this evening, and uh, perhaps we'll find the missing link down there, who knows what, you know, but we'll, we'll find it, whatever it is. Well, by the way, uh, speaking of new and wonderful things, uh, we have this evening a uh, premiere <laughs> Isn't that grand? This thing's called the, uh, oh dear, I've done it again here, uh, the man, uh, the man who lived twice, the man who lived twice, and this is a grand old story about, uh, changing your personality and so on, that sort of thing, though. and, uh, it's not, <laughs> yes, yes, I know, it's just grand to have these new ones here, and, uh, it's a rare occasion these days. Now, of course, I want to, uh, providing the dear little woman that doesn't uh, get in my way here, I'm going to, Thing. While you're recovering from the shock of the new film, I'll just prepare things and uh, get the lecture set for this evening. Guys, put all hang up here. We'll get to you later, boy. And, uh. Premier, that's what that is. Premier. And, uh. Just grand to have. What, what in the. Well, now let. Oh, for heaven's sake, here. Uh, there's a little bit. I believe that was, yes, that was from WABC in New York City in the 1960s. Ladies and gentlemen, that was live. That's John Zachary, a.k.a. Zachary, who died yesterday at the age of 98. And I guess to, to borrow a phrase from him, good night, whatever you are. Sammy, I know you know all about this. This was uh, this was live, live. This was probably not the most polished at that time, and some shows were maybe smoother than others, but sometimes getting out of a coffin, sometimes a sound cue, doesn't always quite... And sometimes you forget the title of the film that you're showing. It happens. It certainly does. Having started in 1962 myself, there are so many stories of blunders and bloopers that happen in live TV. I remember a time, in fact, I'll be showing on my Sammy Terry show on Halloween Day, you'll see me live television from 1972 when I was surprised for my birthday celebration by Vincent Price coming up out of my coffin when I walked over to it. Did you charge him rent? I should have, doggone it. Or else he could have cooked. He was an amazing cook. 
I would imagine he would have done a good job if only the Ben Davis marching band that wound up walking through the studio playing their horns didn't disrupt everything. How did... You, the big the door is big enough for the whole band? <laughs> they just kept coming on and on and on. We had to eventually just break away to go back to the film because they were just hundreds of these horn-tooting people coming through. The only ones that I really cared about were my skeleton's most favorite instrument. The trombone. Oh, my God. <laughs> Again, it sounds like live radio, but it isn't. Anyway, that's... Yeah, I, I remember back at... There, there was that period of time, Sammy, where besides the marching band, we'll get to that in a little bit, but but sometimes folks like Vincent Price and others would, would go from city to city uh, promoting this and promoting that. In fact, when I was looking up uh, Zachary, um, there's footage of him on the Mike Douglas show, which I didn't even realize had happened. So so the fact is you had a, a local host on a national program, and that, that didn't quite happen very often. So I think the flip of having a national celebrity, international celebrity, somebody like uh, Vincent Price showing up at, in Indianapolis, I mean, that, that was a huge deal. Yes, it was. It was very, very, very flattering to me. Of course, I had only been doing Indianapolis's horror hosting for 10 years at that point, let alone now, my 54th year, and I'm still making a killing. <laughs> you don't look a day over 52 so um and i know at that time uh vincent price that was the early 70s so he was he had just had a resurgence with resurgence with dr fibes and uh madhouse i believe was a few years later and of course a personal favorite now of mine um is theater of blood where he recites Shakespeare while uh while killing his critics including of course your favorite Shakespeare and mine Titus Andronicus. <laughs> <laughs> so, and speaking of which, actually, this weekend, if you get a chance, speaking of Bloody Shakespeare, uh, Bard Fest is happening up in Carmel. It closes Sunday, but uh, Saturday, today, at uh, there's you get a chance to see all three shows from Bard Fest. You get um, three different theater companies putting on three Shakespeare plays. Don't worry, Sammy. I'll write it down for you. But it's, uh, but it's uh, Twelfth Night, King Lear, you dads out there, and Coriolanus, which is a bloody Shakespeare play, but not nearly as bloody as Titus Andronicus. It's more military blood than, say, uh, dismemberment eatings and a really cool play intro. But anyway, I digress. Uh, anyway, those are happening at uh, at Bardfest. That's ha all three shows are happening on Saturday, and then Sunday at three o'clock is the final performance of Coriolanus. I'll be there. Hopefully, you will be as well. But anyway. Um, but yeah, do you, uh, Sammy, do you have any memories of, of, of Zachary? Cause I, I, I'm always intrigued with the brotherhood, sisterhood of the local horror show hosts. Um, you know, not that there's a convention, well, there are conventions now, but I mean, you know, people had to have known that, you know, this guy in Pittsburgh, this person in New York, this person in Indianapolis, this person in, in Detroit. I mean, was there much interaction back in the old day? There was some interaction, but of course, back in the day, it was very common for every market to have their own horror host. For when Sammy Terry started Zachary Vampira and the rest, there was no such thing as recorded video. So every commercial during the film had to be live with someone telling you about the product. And of course, nothing's better for a horror movie to have rather than a horror host. So even though there wasn't a lot of interaction, we knew that there were others out there. I think also the fact was, um, because it was live, and I know this a little bit with, with uh, the thing I do on Saturdays, but... You know, you had a show every week. So vacation, you know, working vacations, God knows what your vacations are like. But, uh, but you know, planning vacations was kind of hard because you had, you know, back then live television was live. So you had to be on Monday through Friday and, and with the occasional Saturday and Sunday, especially if the horror show hosts and some markets, not all, but some markets, the horror show hosts would, uh, would have a makeover and host a kid's show in the morning sometimes or the entertainment program or the news program or that sort of thing so but uh yeah i don't think we had the uh, split personalities like that around here 
We did have some. In some? fact, okay. my creator, Robert Carter, uh, for a Sky short Point. time, he did the weather, the sports, championship wrestling with Dick the Bruiser <laughs> while he was creating the masterpiece, which is Sammy Terry. So I guess how, did some of that come come in? I mean, I, you mentioned all those. Were there influences from the uh, the entertaining, the news, the weather, and the wrestling that kind of helped mold uh, mold the the masterpiece that it is today? Oh, absolutely! So many things were drawn from such a vast experience pool. Putting all of those together, you get the most demented, demonic perspective on things. Do you think? Um, do you think was your favorite professional wrestler for a while the Undertaker? Just curious. Well, the Undertaker was good, but my favorite of all time was Dick the Bruiser. Oh, Dickie and me got along just well. In fact, one time he picked up my creator Robert Carter by the scruff of the neck, but he didn't just grab the shirt. He grabbed the skin underneath the shirt and dangling like a rag doll, poor Robert was nothing more than a doll in the hand of a great monster. So you see, that shaped the perilous being that I have become. Awesome. <laughs> see, ladies and gentlemen, as I've said for many years, you know, pro wrestling is, you know, soap operas for dudes, but, um, but yeah, that's I have to say there's there's a, it has a certain spot in my heart because my father, retired uh, retired surgeon Dr. Sosi, one of his first jobs when he got his license was he was the ringside physician for Golden Gloves and for wrestling. So this was up in Michigan, and uh, so he in this Michigan, of course, was Bobo Brazil. Dick the Bruiser would come up, of course, on occasion. Crusher, uh, Haystacks, Calhoun. Dad tells the story that he could not get the uh, blood pressure arm wrap around around Mr. Calhoun, and Haystacks just said to my dad, "One twenty over 80. And Dad wrote it down. So, and of course, these were guys that no, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Wildman Furpo was another one. The Sheik, where you know, if they actually got injured, and let's never forget, ladies and gentlemen, they got injured. They're they're slamming into each other. You know, even if it is, even when it is choreographed well, they're still slamming into each other at full force. But anyway, but uh, but Dad would have to take care of them if they, uh, you know, if if things happen. So so the fact that Sammy Terry and Dick the Brit now that's a you know, he could have been in the management business. That's that's a tag team right there, if there ever was one. It was a wonderful pairing. I miss Dick quite a bit. And it doesn't have anything to do with the grandeur that the pro wrestling world has become. For back in those days, much like the horror hosts in those days, it was a struggle week by week to keep your show going. And I think there was less peeking behind the curtain with both of those. And I think I, it's, funny, it's interesting we're bringing this up. The parallels between horror show hosts and wrestling where little kfab um yeah we we if you know a, a an educated person knows that there's a curtain um a, a passionate person knows to not really peek behind it so and i think there was there was not a lot of that there were there were people you know there there were some organizations that um wouldn't let the baby faces and the heels interact out in public you know that would be like i guess there there were stories that um uh, there was a certain guy in town I, you've alluded to who sold musical instruments, and uh, and sometimes people would kind of do a double check or look twice and wonder, is this? Nah. Have you heard those stories? It seems that I pull from the recesses of my mind stories of a fine music store on the northeast side where that type of phenomenon happened. A lot of double-taking as they're renting stuff for the school, so... Correct. Yeah, so sometimes it's just best to not peek behind the curtain. It's okay. Trust yourself. And when he looked at you and said 120 over 80, you'd write it down too. Thank you, Haystacks. That's right. So, all right. Um, so, yeah, anyway, long story long, uh, I like that parallel. That's very cool. And I think they're also fans in their own way, wrestling fans and horror show fans, if you've seen those. Although I do, you know, 
wouldn't be wouldn't hurt to have a valet like the like the ones of today. Mrs. Sosi is laughing at me right now. Okay, um, just yeah, we got a few minutes left. But yeah, if you get a chance, go on YouTube, check out John Zachary, check out Zachary the Cool Ghoul. Um, one of the fun moments, uh, Sammy, one of my fun, most fond moments of Halloween with my daughter was watching your show, and we had already given away the candy, and uh, the lights were turned off on the porch. Halloween etiquette, folks. If the lights are off, don't bother me. Us lights or anyway but but then going on youtube and looking at sir graves ghastly from detroit and zachary the cool ghoul in new york and uh spanguli in chicago and elvira from the twin peaks and uh you know all of those and and seeing sharing with my daughter every what every kid in every city had and uh you know it's a lost art and the fact that you're still out there doing it is i think fantastic and i hope more people take advantage of this so let's let's recap once again you have a triple feature happening on saturday on wttv 4s Point two channel, four point two digital channel, as well as antenna TV. So if you don't get either one of those, make sure that you see my Night of the Living Dead Halloween special on my website, SammyTerry.com. I know when Matthew here gets done trick or treating, as he's dreaming about the tooth decay happening inside of his body, he's going to go to his computer, or you can also find it on the Roku or Apple TV if you want to watch it on the bigger screen. Screens, and you'll be able to watch me do my Halloween special for you, The Night of the Living Dead, and then make sure you put it on your schedule every Friday from here on out. I have resurrected the Sammy Terry Nightmare Show, so I'll be bringing you an old classic horror film every Friday on SammyTerry.com. It's streaming and on demand, so make sure you make it part of your schedule to go to SammyTerry.com every week for your horror fix. By the way, Sammy, that's not that's not tooth decay I'm dreaming about. If you've seen my picture on Facebook, you know what I mean. Anyway, um so I guess so once this is done, Sammy, I say when when Halloween is officially over or I'm sorry, when your birthday party is done, um what what do you work on between now and the end of the year? Between now and the end of the year. Yeah, how are things at the at the Terry office? At the Terry office, my great sanctuary of horror, we are gearing up. We're filming constantly. George is scuttlebutting around, spinning webs everywhere in the dungeon. Goolsby is trying to spread as much dust on the floor as he can to make it suitably beautiful for my guests. For every Friday, we're filming and uploading a new video for everybody amazement and amusement so make sure you tell all of your friends and family that no longer live here in the Hoosier State that they can have Sammy Terry back just like they remember vintage and classic clips will be with every single episode so you'll relive some of the tantalizing terror from the 1970s and 80s every week old school is around today so excellent stuff so yeah go to sammyterry.com go check that out and uh it's it's good to ha- always good to have you here and i know you have a very very busy weekend you'll find I, was, I would normally say you can sleep when you're dead you're already dead so there's that <laughs> well matthew thank you so much for inviting me here into your crypt and to you and all of your listeners I wish you all a horrible Halloween and many pleasant nightmares. Isn't he great? So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, normally this is where I would say words to live by. Uh, so, Alan Karina's people, Zardas has spoken. Go see a good movie. You deserve it. Go watch Sammy Terry and uh, and demand, demand to the TV gods that there should be more Sammy Terry. Go to SammyTerry.com for more information. But but really, bother the executives. That's, you know, def- I would say flood them with telegrams, but it's it's 2016. Flood them with emails or twits. Tweets. Anyway, uh, with that in mind, hey, I didn't say the other vowel. Anyway, uh, we got just enough time. We're going to end the show. 
This is from 1958. This is John Zacherly, who who died yesterday at the age of 98. Yes, he cut a single, because that's what happens sometimes back then. And uh, I think this was after the Monster Mash, but it has that feel. Anyway, here is John Zacherly with the song Dinner with Drac. So uh, I guess to, to borrow a phrase, ladies and gentlemen, good night, whatever you are. Served for three at Dracula's house by the sea. The orders were fine, but I choked on my wine when I learned that the main course was me. Waitress, a vampire named Perkins, was so very fond of small gherkins. While she served the tea, she ate 43, which pickled her internal workings. <laughs> Go on the left with the pitchforks. Igor, Igor. What a swimmer is Dracula's daughter. But her pool looks more red than the daughter. The blood stains the boat. But it's easy to float. Cause blood is much thicker than water. Water. 